How is everybody? How are you? This is, this is early for me. I live in Southern California, so I just want you to know, you know, to speak at uh, 8.42 is like 5.42 for me, but I'm kind of an early guy. My dad was a farmer, and so I think I must have got his, not in California, but in the Midwest, and so I must have got some of that. Um, when I first wrote a book called Doing Life with Your Adult Children, Keep Your Mouth Shut and the Welcome Mat Out, it was, I actually uh, was speaking at a conference in, uh, in Hawaii, 4,500 people, and I uh, gave the conference, and then they had a book signing thing. And people your age would cut, would stand in line because you can't have adult children. No. So they, so what they did was they would stand in line, and I would go, you can't have adult children. Why, why do you want me to sign this book for you? And they go, oh, no, it's for my mom, Claire. Um, <laughs> she really needs it. And I started laughing that a younger generation thought that their parents needed uh, what I'm going to say to you today. But you, and, and it's amazing for me because when we started... Um, first thinking about doing life with your adult children, the, the, my friend in Hawaii actually called me up and said, I want you to speak at our conference. Every year they do a conference and every year he calls and goes, can you come and speak in Hawaii? Let me pray about it. Yeah, I can, I can do that. And um, so anyway, there you go. So the fascinating side to it was he, he said, I want you to speak on parenting your adult children. And I said, absolutely not. I go, my kids are driving us nuts as adults. No offense, I'm calling you a kid. But our, our kids, are they're driving us nuts right now, and Kathy and I will sit in the front row of whoever you get, but there is no way that I can do this. I've never spoken on it. And I said, in, in Homeward, where I work, we're the largest provider of parenting seminars in the U.S., so we have 27 speakers who, who do things like this. We probably have you know, eight or nine out you know, today someplace in, in the U.S. And I, and I said, it's fascinating because they always ask, people always ask about their adult children, but we really don't have anything. We have you know, eight seminars that we do and, until... Now, we didn't have this. And, uh, but I said, no, but I'll come, <laughs> but I'll speak on something else. And he hung up, and about 20 minutes later, he said, hey, I called your wife, and she thought it would be a really good idea for you to do this. And I said, well, I don't have any content. He goes, well, we got plenty of time. I mean, we're calling a year out. You can figure something out. And so I get there, <clears throat> and this was long before the book was out, but I get there, and, um, I, and I was going to do a general session, so I did the general session, and they made an announcement. Jim's seminar on, we called it then parenting your adult children, then we realized you can't parent your adult children. It doesn't work. You're the parent, but you're not parenting them anymore. Um, but it has been moved to another room. And so my self-esteem goes, well, that's because no one signed up for it. So we're going to sit around a table, and we're going to moan and groan about our, our kids, Right. And all three of my kids are amazing kids. <clears throat> They're now in their 30s, but they bumped going into college. They, and when I say they bumped, they just kind of, I went, seriously? I mean, Kathy's big line was, I didn't see that coming, really? You know, you're raising the church and whatever, and now you're, what, huh? And so anyway, I, um, I realized that they changed because there were so many people that came to it and wanted to come. So they had outgrown the room. So I get in there. And, I, and again, it's the first time I've ever spoken to them. And my wife is there, and my daughter, Christy, is actually going to talk, too, as an adult child. And I said, um, I said, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing a lot of people whose kids are violating your values. Um, they're straying from faith. Not everybody. Uh, there used to be, you know, back in my day, you didn't cohabitate. Today, you cohabitate. You know, I'm going through all these different things, and people groaned. And I've, I'm sure I've heard people grown before when I've spoken, but never like in a chorus of it. And I realized then and there 
that what Kathy and I were experiencing and what some of our friends were experiencing was what a lot of people were experiencing. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who has adult children are in pain, although half of us are probably, um, because of a silly decision that somebody made or whatever. I mean, it's kind of, it, it's so unique. And so here's the deal. You have spent two decades of your life um, pretty much in control with your kids. Uh, by the time they were teens, it was, I, I had to say pretty much. I mean, you were in control before then. And then all of a sudden, they became adults, and you weren't in control anymore. And so really, the title of this seminar is called Doing Life with Your Adult Children, Keep Your Mouth Shut, and the Welcome Mat Out. Pretty much describes what we're going to talk about today, okay? And I have the scars on my tongue, you know, to prove it. Uh, most parents find the transition really hard. And I realize some of you are in the transition, some of you are already out of the transition, I don't even know if you can use the word transition anymore because of all the gender identity stuff. But you know, transitioning from kids to adults, and truthfully, it is complicated. It is sometimes frustrating. Uh, it is um, shocking, and depending on the day, really, really good. And for Kathy and I, we've had those days with all of those things uh, in our life. Okay, and I, as I mentioned, you know, Kathy said, "Wow, I did not see this." coming. And we had not been prepared for that. We weren't prepared when, our, when we started making babies, but we really weren't prepared when they became adults and, and said, but I'm an adult. And I'm like, I know you're an adult, but we're still paying for your cell phone and we're paying for college and, and all these kind of things. And you're not acting like an adult should. Okay. And uh, so anyway, what we really had to realize was that we had never been parents of adults and our kids had never been adults. And so we were running a parallel journey. We didn't know what we were doing, and they didn't know what they were doing. And so you kind of, at times, sometimes, you know, bump into each other, if you would, okay? And that's kind of what happened to us. So what I saw my kids doing, and I don't know if this is yours, but I saw them meandering toward adulthood and meandering toward responsibility, and actually for them, meandering toward marriage. And when I say meander... Kathy and I went to college together. We didn't know each other, but on the very first day, I met her on the very first day, and I said to my nerd friends, they were sitting over here in that, where that, that table, it was that freshman orientation, I said, see that girl down there, I'm going to take her out on a date, and we immediately became just friends, because she got a boyfriend, but we became just friends, and by December, we were dating, and we dated all through college, and on one week after college, we got married, and we became adults, okay, because we had to. We had bills to pay. We had stuff to do. We had things that, I mean, we had to become adults. My kids didn't do it that way. And what I see is most kids don't necessarily do it that way. Today, they meander, okay? And we'll talk about that meandering a little bit more later. But what I did was I came up with, partly out of desperation, partly out of research, I came up with some principles on doing life with your adult children. I'm going to throw these principles out at you. So the first one you're not going to like, but are you ready for it? By the way, you can, they'll, it'll come up on the screen. There it is. But it'll also come up on, uh, you know, in your, or you have it in your notes, some of the some of the principles. You'll have all the principles, but the first principle is this. Are you ready for it? You're fired. So you're fired as a day-to-day -day parent. Doesn't mean you're fired. They're still going to call you dad. They're still going to call you mom, but you're, you're, you're fired as a day-to-day -day parent because your role as a parent of an adult child must change. And again, we have a new role, and they don't get our role, and we sometimes don't get their role. I mean, my line is, be nice to your children, uh, after all, they will most likely be the ones who will eventually take you away, take away the car keys and, um, and uh, 
usher you into the convalescent care facility. <laughs> and at a time, I mean, it's a joke, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, man, these guys are going to be in charge, and they're not really ready for that. So you're still the parent, but listen to this. You have to reinvent the relationship. So I'm going to put some of this on you. I'm not saying that you're responsible if your kids have made poor choices. Really good parents make, have kids who make poor choices. Okay, please hear that. Don't be blaming yourself. But the point is, is that we do have to reinvent the relationship. And here's a little bit of the job description. First of all, you give them the passport to adulthood. That's your job. And you say, but they're not acting like adults. It doesn't matter. You still have to give them the passport to adulthood because experience is a better teacher than advice. And so we want to keep giving our adult kids advice, but in fact, what they need is sometimes the experience to you know, fall. When your kids were five, they, were on, they learned how to ride a bike or whatever, and they fell. And guess what? They got back up, and they figured out how to do it, and it was the experience that taught them that. And sometimes as, a, as parents, we don't want our kids to have these you know, bad experiences, but we have to give them the passport. So you rewrite the script. It's a part of your passport. I mean, part of your job description. You rewrite the script by letting go of control. If you're a control freak, that's really hard. I just watched two people actually nudge their spouse, um, meaning that one's probably having a little trouble giving up control. I think that is the funniest thing that I just saw this right as I was watching you, okay? Um, no, no elbowing on this. Now, it's not easy for most of us to give up control because, honestly, for those two decades, we were in pretty much control, but we're not in control. Our pastor, okay, he's a great guy. His name's Jeff, and he gets up as he took his first child, his oldest child, to college this year, and he said it was crazy because on Thursday he had a curfew, and we dropped him off at school, and it's Friday, and we have no idea what he's doing, you know, all weekend. You know, we don't we don't know that if he has a curfew now, and that's just a weird thing to to you know to think about. Uh, C.S. Lewis said it this way: because we have to deal with grief when we are letting go of control, and we're not aware of this very often. But change always involves a sense of loss, and so one of the things you have to think about is this sense of loss. In a book I wrote after uh, doing Life with Your Adult Children, I wrote a book called Finding Joy in the Empty Nest. And I actually have people go through what I call the empty nest syndrome exam because what we find is a lot of people, when they have their kids gone, they actually go through almost some depression and anxiety and kind of a loss of self and who they are and those kinds of things. Isn't this, for you young guys, you're looking forward to this now that you know one day, you know, see what I'm saying. But the point being is that that's a part of it, is this loss. So letting go of our children must be counted among the necessary losses in our life. It doesn't mean that you, you, you're losing children, you're not losing your, your kids, but they're not children anymore, and they're not teenagers anymore, they're adults, and part of that is just important for us to understand. There's a woman I speak with sometimes, her name is Linda Park, and she is a vice president at Apple, and she is magnificent. She's 45 years old, she is, literally, she was up for... When Jobs left, she was up for that. I mean, she's an amazing person, wonderful Christian lady, and a Korean, uh, born in Korea, came out here, fabulous lady. And um, I was in the green room one time talking with her, and we were talking about doing life with your adult children, which I was going to speak on. And she goes, oh, my gosh, my mom's driving me crazy. And th I mean, this is a woman who is a multi-multi-bazillionaire, and actually, flew when her dad died, she brought her mom to America and, you know, they have a home in a, in a place that those homes are worth, I mean, the lowest home would be worth $5 million in the Bay Area. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? So she set her mom up. Quite a lady <laughs> and dynamic and wonderful and whatnot. And she goes, yeah, I, my kids, we were over and it was really cold that day. And we, you know, we, we were visiting with mom and we had dinner and whatnot. And, 
you know, we're trying to get there as often as we can. And then I'm getting ready to go, and I'm putting on the coats with my kids. And then I start to walk out, and I don't have my coat on. And my mom goes, honey, put on your coat. It's cold outside. And for some reason, Linda, and I don't even see this part of her, but she goes, I just got frustrated with my mom. And I said, mom, I'm very capable. I'm 45 years old. You know, I'm the vice president of a company that's known around the world. Um, I bought you this house. Why are you telling me to put my coat on? She goes, because I'm your mom and it's cold outside. I said, well, what did you do? She goes, I put on my coat. <laughs> so the point being is that her mom had not given Linda the passport. She didn't care if she was, you know, miss everything when it comes to, you know, business and marketing and all this kind of stuff. She still was the mom, and she was going to tell her to put her coat on, and how that worked, not, not so good, although she put her coat on. So principle number one is you're fired, okay? Principle number two is, and this is a hard, if you didn't like the first one, then you're really not going to like this one, unsolicited advice is usually taken as criticism. So you've got to keep your mouth shut and the welcome mat out, but unsolicited advice is taken as criticism. Your intention is always, almost always, pure and right. You've got good advice, okay? But they don't take it like that as often. So what did I say? Experience is a better teacher than advice. Whenever you are intrusive with advice, and I'm not saying you think you're intrusive, I'm saying they think you're intrusive. But whenever you're intrusive with advice, then it's not the lesson that you're trying to teach them, but what they hear is, you don't trust me. I'm all grown up, and you don't trust me. So again, you've got to hear that. And so if you're an advice giver, my wife is an advice giver, I'm a fix-it guy. So when I was getting my PhD, I got my PhD in England. And so we were living in England for a tad bit, and the kids were you know, young, and, um, and Kathy loves to give advice. I mean, when I left um, for my trip in the morning, there were like three articles that she had taken out of a blog thing and whatnot, because I'm trying to lose some weight. I've actually gained some, during the pandemic, I gained some weight, and I had recently had um, knee surgery, and so I just, I'm, I'm trying to pull it back, and so she had anything from, you know, I should eat yogurt every morning, looking at those donuts were killing me, um, I should eat yogurt every morning, and, you know, to other things, and then, you know, there was another article on something else that, you know, it's just, it's all good stuff, but I know her and love her, so I don't see that as being all that intrusive, but that drives my kids nuts, just that. Go oh, I got an article for her, and she does this, because she's like that. So we're in England, and, uh, and we're walking in, in a beautiful uh, village called Bath, beautiful village, and um, kind of near where I was going to school. <clears throat> and um, there's a place there, and it's a home, but it has a business out in front. And it says Citizens Advice Council. And my daughter, Christy, gets all excited, my oldest. And she goes, Mom, here's a job for you. You could work here. Citizens Advice Council. And, and my wife just kind of smiles and goes, yeah, I suppose so. But, you know, she's the advice person. That's her language of love. But the kids don't take it as a language of love. They take it as, you don't trust me. And, and somebody in here needs to hear that, okay? Um, Christy, so I'm saying you, you give it, if you're going to give advice, you have to ask for permission. So Christy and Steve and our two grandkids were living with us for two months before they were going to move to Texas. So they were, uh, Steve was, uh, was getting a pilot's license, so he was working um, through the American Airlines world. And so he was in, we live in Southern California. They were going to live there for a year. And so they were staying at our house because their, their apartment had you know, given up the rent or whatever. And so we were having a great time. It, Steve was easy. The two grandkids were wonderful. And Christy was driving us a little nuts, but that's another story. And, um, and Steve and Christy are in a bit of an argument. 
So it's kind of weird when it's your children, they're living with you, but they're interacting in a not healthy way, especially when dad speaks on you know, communication in your marriage. And they're not doing it real well. And I'm in the kitchen. And what they're not doing well is they're having a discussion on how they're going to move. Steve wanted to go the super, super cheap way. In his mind, it was super cheap. And, and Christy had another idea. And I didn't think either idea was a good idea. I thought I had a better idea. So in the middle of them kind of being a little hot with each other, and I'm, I'm keeping the kids holding out. And they're not like yelling and screaming, but you know, it's just they're intense with it. I came in and did what I just told you. I said, hey, can I have permission to, to give you guys another idea? And Steve, I can see Steve starts to go like, yeah. And Christy never looks up and she goes, not now, dad, not now. And I went, okay. And I'm thinking, people pay me to give advice. But, you know. <laughs> so they took Steve's idea, which was the worst idea in my humble opinion. And a week later, I have flown to Dallas because I'm going to speak in Dallas. Kathy has flown there to help kind of with kids while they were setting up their house and all this. You know, they both drove across in two different trucks with trailers, which was crazy. And um, anyway, we're talking about the disaster of the trip because, well, the crib that we had bought fell off. And so now we only had half of a crib. So, you know, this was going to cost, this cost us more money because we went to Target and bought them a new one. Why would I would do this? I don't know. It doesn't match with what I say about finances in the book. Um, and then their bed, they'd lost screws with the bed. So they were trying to, they didn't want to get a new bed. They were just trying to figure out where you find these screws to get it, but they didn't know what they were doing. And then one dresser fell off. So it was a pretty much a disaster. They were calling it a disaster. So we're talking about this and I'm actually, to be honest, in my heart of heart, I was like, this is so good because I told him not to do this, you know, whatever. So anyway, finally, Christy goes, dad, we're at dinner. Dad, you had an idea. And I said, oh, I did. Here's what I would have done. I actually think it would have been quite cheaper for you. And I think it would have been more efficient. And she goes, Dad, why didn't you tell us that? That's exactly what we should have done. I did it right. They had to learn by experience. Guess when they moved back the next year to Southern California, they did it my way. And they asked for a loan to see if they could you know, get the, the, the truck. What can I say? But what I'm saying is you ask for permission for advice. Why? Because your role has to change. What I mean by this is your role changes from being in control as a parent to being a mentor. I, I had an interesting time yesterday. I actually flew in. The last time I was here, I could come in on a Friday and I could actually get here and speak on a Friday night. I couldn't get from California to Louisville unless I took a 5.30 flight out of L.A., which is you know an hour and 20 minutes away from us. So I ended up coming a day early. And so I was here. And I ended up talking to all three of my girls in kind of mentoring type things, unsolicited by me, but them asking me certain questions about different things. And I'm not saying it was all life-changing. We had big spiritual moments and all this. But I'm saying how interesting that over the years, what I now realize is I'm a mentor. And my job is to care for them. My job is not to parent them anymore in terms of the, the verb to parent. Some of you have to get that out of your mind and, and move it to a, a mentoring role. Kathy, last night, uh, when I'm gone, she'll sometimes do fun things. And she has a goddaughter. We have a goddaughter um, who's lovely and wonderful. And um, her, it was Kathy's best friend, closer than a sister. She died, and Kathy made a promise on the, on the you know, deathbed, basically, that she would hang out with her kids, and she does. And so she, we, we flew her out from Seattle. Um, they were in San Diego last night over the water. They're you know, showing me all this fun you know, stuff they were doing. But... They had, she had just gone through a real tough breakup with her inner marriage. And 
and Kathy was mentoring her. Her role was not to, you know, she, her role was to give her advice if she sought advice. So this idea of, um, you know, unsolicited advice is usually taken as criticism. You've got to take this seriously. And, and again, I get it if you have trouble with this. I'm the guy who says, you know, but why does she uh, need to go to Europe to find herself? I have all the answers right here. Just tell her, come in the living room, 10 minutes. I can, I can totally figure it all out for her. I know who she should marry. I know what she should do. I, I got it all down. Just tell her to come in. But again, she's going to have to, to learn that. The Bible actually says, and so blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth, right? Now, you would never think that you're cursing your kids if you give them advice. What I'm saying is there are some young adults who believe that they are getting a curse from you if you're giving them advice because they're hearing, you don't trust me. Um, I'm close to a woman named Ruth Graham. Her dad was named Billy Graham. Her mom was named Ruth Graham. It's kind of weird that, you know, in the South you hear more of this, obviously, that the women are named after the mom. They call her Bunny. And I wouldn't tell this story except she told it at Billy Graham's funeral. Okay, so if you happen to see, his, if you were one of the 30 million people who saw his funeral, then you've heard this story. But one day we were in a studio that we have at Homeward in, and we were just sitting, actually having coffee and talking, and we'd just done a show. And... Uh, she told me a story that I couldn't, I, you know, it's just remarkable. And, and she's very open and very transparent. And the whole time I'm thinking, wait, this is Billy and Ruth Graham's daughter. But what the story is this, and it's, it's out, it's in books, she's talked about it. For 27 years, she was married to a guy who worked for the Billy Graham organization, and he was a serial adulterer. I don't know if you know this story. So this is, Billy Graham's son-in-law was just, he ha was living a dual life. So they got a divorce. They tried to work it out. And she'd had other issues, too, which she's written about. But they tried to work it out, and they didn't. And then uh, Ruth tells her mom and dad that she's been dating another guy, and she's interested in marrying him. And they said, honey, this is too soon. And we actually have some yellow flags, at least, about this guy. So this is good advice. This, I mean, if, if my dad was Billy Graham, I'd kind of do what he probably... I mean, he prays a lot more than anybody else, so you know, I'm going to listen to him. But she didn't. She married him. So they moved to Florida. Six weeks later, she flees because there is abuse. I don't know if you know this story. Do you guys know this story? Did you, have anybody heard this story? Okay. So, so I don't want to tell a story that everybody knows. So she flees, and she packs everything she can. In the middle of the night, she gets up, flees, gets, puts it in her car, a little car, and she starts driving. Where do you drive when you're in trouble? Even when you're an adult, you drive home. So she's going toward Montreat, North Carolina, and in the morning... She calls her mom and dad and said, hey, you know, I'm going to come home. I, I, you guys were right. I was wrong. This has been horrible. It's a big mistake. Um, I'm gonna, I don't know how you do an annulment, but I'm going to find out. And, you know, this is just a mistake. This is a woman who has kids. She'd been married for 27 years to another guy. So now she's made a, a, a poor choice. As she's getting closer to Montreat, she's thinking, as any kid does. She's the adult, but she's still a kid. She's going, my parents are going to kill me. They're going to say... I told you so, right? And, you know, they, she deserved an I told you so. And she gets closer, and so she calls, and she talks to her dad, and her dad uh, at the Billy Graham compound, or where Billy Graham lived and Ruth before that, but her, his wife died before he did. Um, it's a big compound. It's, there, there's gates. Um, there's German shepherds that only command in German. I mean, you know, you, people are crazy, and they're going to try to kill Billy Graham, so they, you know, it's really guarded. So she comes up this big driveway, and she can see Billy. 
and he's pacing. He's just pacing back and forth, and she's going, oh, he's going to kill me. He's gonna, he has words for me. And he gets, you know, they get there, and he comes right to the door, and he opens the door up, and he says, welcome home, bunny. I'm so proud of you, and I love you so much. And he gave her a hug. He said, your mom made your favorite meal. Here, come on in. We'll get all the luggage and all this other stuff. You know, he's looking in the back. It's filled. Um, all this other stuff later, but, you know, come home. Welcome home. I love you, and I'm proud of you. Well, he blessed her big time when he could have said, we told you so. And so it's so important that we learn that. What did he do? He blessed his daughter, his adult daughter, even though she went against his advice. See, And so that's what we've got to do if we really want to make this thing happen. Now, again, um, I'm going through these different principles fast, and I'm just going to hit you know, some more, but... I'm going to talk now about culture. Have you ever thought, who is this kid, and uh, why is it taking them so long to grow up? I mean, I don't know if you have, but we sure did. Um, and so what I'm saying is, if you're going to do life with your adult children, you've got to become students of the culture. And right after this, we'll take a, a quick break, and then we'll come into some, are you helping and enabling, or what do you do when they violate values, and all kinds of fun stuff. But let's talk about culture for a minute. Here's my prayer. Uh, with my kids anyway, and it was this. As my kids, you know, were making some changes in their life and, their, and, and I didn't understand why they were doing this. But I said, Lord, teach me to parent the children I have, not the, children I, the child I was or the child I th thought I would have. And I think that's a really good, you know, thought here because sometimes we just expect our kids to live a different way than they're living or, or whatever. Part of it is, they're in a different culture than you and me. And so what I had to do was become a student of the culture. Now, for my kids, they're millennials. If your kids are 24 and under, they would be considered what we call Gen Z. So most of you probably have millennials. Some of you may even have older kids. But the millennial mindset is, is very different. And I want to look at some of the distinctives, just three distinctives, although I could look at a bunch more. But one of the distinctives that is interesting is that and we will talk about it in the next session. I don't know if you're going to hang around, but it's a great session on, on growing up digital and, and how do you create a media-safe home. Some of you need it for your grandkids, um, maybe for you. <clears throat> but they're shaped by technology. So do you know that 37% of millennials this year who get married will have met online? 37%. It's probably rapidly going up to at least 50%. So their world, even the way they do romance, is, is online. They work online. Go to a Starbucks, any Starbucks, and who are the people that are there working, um, or at least they're studying or they're doing something, but they're online. So, so they are lived and we use technology, but they are shaped by technology. And here's some really good news, and we need some good news sometimes when we think about the culture. But the good news is this, that when you look at millennials especially, the Gen Z world is too young. We don't know this yet. They're only 24 at the highest. But with the millennials, you know what their number one thing is? Once they get married, they've meandered toward marriage and maybe taken some side cohabitation experiences and things like that, which we'll talk about in a minute. But what is interesting about it is they've meandered, but um, once they get married and they make babies, you know what the number one thing they want is they want a good marriage and they want to have, be good parents. So at Homeward, we're putting all of our energy and focus. Homeward is the ministry I work with on how do you help next generation parents? And we're putting a lot of energy in that because they really want to know, but they, they get their information differently. They may not come to something like this. 
They, they would go on a blog. They would go on a three-minute short-form video. I mean, they're going to find ways of doing it, but there are new ways to, to look because that's how they're looking. They're going online to find out how to be a good parent. You didn't do that, okay? Um, maybe you did, but not many of you, see? So the world, that world has changed. So that's good news. But the one that gets us when it comes to this is that they view tolerance as a form of loving. And we, a lot of times us, who, we who are not millennials, are you guys millennials? Okay, so we who are not, this is so good that you're here, I'm telling you. But we, um, if, you're a, if you aren't a millennial, you can't understand that. So what happens is the millennials and the Gen Zs definitely view tolerance as a form of loving. So it means that they might have been raised in the church, but they're going to have a different view than you have when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to gender, when it comes to politics. And so what it happens with this, they view tolerance as a form of loving, is that you have a biblical worldview, they have a biblical worldview, but their biblical worldview is different than your biblical worldview. So even today, I'm thinking about student ministry. I'm looking at Eli back there. The students in his student ministry, and I realize it's not just his, but it's other people who, you know, who do this too, Jacob and others, but they have a different view. These are Gen Zers, but they have a different view when it comes to certain issues than you do. So it makes for what? An interesting time at Christmas, Thanksgiving's going to have some interesting conversations. We're coming up with a political, there's voting happening next Tuesday. And some of your kids, you went, wait a minute, we didn't raise you to vote for that person. See what I'm saying? And so you have these kind of debates going on, but I'm not talking about how to fix this. I'm talking about understanding their culture, and that's a part of their culture. Now, another part of their culture is what we call the cringe factor. I call it the cringe factor for you, not necessarily for them. So what's the cringe factor? The cringe factor, number one, is that they grew up with pornography. So the average person represented here of your kids quite possibly saw pornography at age 11, okay? And that wasn't you. I mean, the cell phone was invented in 2007, okay? So we did, well, not the cell phone, but the iPhone. And so that became the, great, the greatest distributor of internet pornography happened in 2011 with the iPhone. And so they saw it. It, it popped up. 70% of, of porn, people, uh, kids say that they saw it accidentally. But their experience was very different than your experience when it came to, to, to sexuality. Girls today, if, if we're talking, and I'm, I don't want to get into what I'm talking about in the next session on, on digital stuff, but young girls today see it uh, at age 11, and young guys see it even younger. It's skewing younger. So that's their experience. And since parents don't talk to them about sex, that that's how they're finding out about sex. Now, they're viewing pornography a lot of times. So that's the cringe factor. So their view of sexuality is different than your view of sexuality because, you know, you guys grew up in a different place. Cohabitation, for example. So secular research teaches us this. And in the 1970s, 75% of people in America said that they would not live with someone before instead of marriage. Today, 75% of students, millennials, and Gen Zers say that they would live with someone before or instead of marriage. So it changed. If you polled the youth group here, that might, have, that might change. And if they were in college, it, it might change. And you might be surprised. Okay, Even a good church like this. See? So again, they have a different view. <clears throat> Secular research teaches us that if people cohabitate and then they get married, there's a greater chance of divorce. There's a greater chance of adultery within their marriage and less sexual satisfaction. So you kind of sense that. They don't believe that, but it's secular research. But the secular world has a problem because in this woke culture, they can't tell these people this is a dumb idea. 
But frankly, it is kind of a dumb idea because, again, studies show, not Christian studies, but secular studies show that people who cohabitate don't do as well, and 75% of, of the population cohabitates now. Okay. And if you look at certain ethnic groups, it's massive amounts. Okay. So it's, it's, it's really different. Also, gender identity confusion. So I'm not here to talk about gender identity, but... Um, you know, it's just, it's shocking what's going on. The culture is on fire. Okay. And actually, when I preach tonight and tomorrow, I'm going to actually talk just for a moment about teaching your children about healthy uh, morals and values. One of the things I'm going to say is this, and I'll just do it in here. Just, I can't do it in the big one. How many of you received good, positive, healthy sex education when you were growing up from your parents? <laughs> one, one person going like this. Okay, pretty much just says it. So all research says this, that the more positive, value-centered sex education that kids receive from their parents, the less promiscuous and the less confused they'll be. I just gave you the illustration. Now, you have kids, obviously, so you know how to make babies and all that kind of stuff, but we didn't have our parents talking to us about this stuff. And so a lot of these people do have a different view when it comes to you know, some of the gender identity confusion stuff Again, I'm not going to get off on this, but um, I, I really don't care what, what Bruce Jenner does with his private parts. I, honestly, it's not my issue for adults. My issue is with parents who are allowing young children to make a transition and do hormonal changes and things like that when they're young. And also, I'm really concerned about young girls, um, you know, young girls who used to cut themselves. Nobody thought that was a good idea. Or young girls who had eating disorders. Guys can have those too, of course. But young girls are doing that, so, so nobody thought those were great ideas. But today, when they say, well, maybe I'm, I'm bi, I'm gay, I'm binary, I'm non-binary, whatever I am, I'm trans, whatever, now they have a whole group of people who are embracing that with them. So what I think is going to happen down the road is that these people um, who are living with some of this gender identity confusion, they're going to carry all kinds of baggage into a marriage. Marriage is hard enough. We talked about this last night. So now you're coming in with not just a relationship that you had in college with that opposite sex person, but it's the multiple relationships. So it's confusing. I'm not, now again, notice I'm not trying to fix this right now. I'm just simply saying we've got to understand that this is going on. And then spiritual life. Spiritual life is very confusing and very complex to the millennial and to the Gen Z. For some of you, you accepted this. Your parents told you this was the way it was. But with millennials and Gen Zs, they're not accepting everything. And so let me help you understand this one thing, and then we're going to stop and we'll take a break. But, um, and then we'll have time at the end, by the way, for some Q&A. But uh, I call this uh, anatomy of a lost faith. So a lot of young people are, are leaving the church. I'm going to mention it tomorrow when I talk about 65% of the people who graduate from high school leave the church. That doesn't mean they leave faith, but they leave the church. And uh, that's a scary thing for people who do what I do. But in this anatomy for a lost faith, I, I come up with six things that I think parents need to be reminded of if your kids are one of these who have strayed. So first of all, what they do is they just simply neglect. They quit going to church. They go away to college, and they quit going to church or whatever. So they neglect. They don't mean they're not anti-God. They're not anti-you. They just sort of neglect. Um, they stray away from the basics. It was that great theologian, Vince Lombardi, coach of the Green Bay Packers, who I think is a theologian. He said, when you've strayed away from the basics, talking about football, you've gone a long ways toward defeat. But so we have kids, adult kids, who just kind of stray away from that. 
when you, when you neglect, you also then drift, which is the next part. So you drift. So if I, I live in Southern California, and if I was on a boat and I said, I'm going to take this boat to Hawaii, if I drift 1%, I end up in Australia. Because you drift, but you just kind of keep drifting, right? And that's what we see happening with some of these kids. From drift, you move to what I'm going to call unbelief or lack of trust. This is good stuff because it helps us understand where, some of our kids. So again, they're not anti-God at this point, but they're just basically, you know, they don't have as much unbelief or lack of trust because they're not flexing that muscle. They're, they're basically ignoring God. They're not bad people, but they're just kind of ignoring him, so they don't, they're not singing the songs. They're not putting the scripture into their head. They're not worshiping and having fellowship, the basic stuff, right? So then we move from unbelief, if you would, to disobedience. Now, sometimes that happens in different order, but disobedience. Now, you know, the Bible says in, in John 14, 21, if you, Jesus saying, if you love me, you will obey me. And if you obey me, I will reveal myself to you. Now, again, there's, I don't think there's little cutesy little principles always throughout the Bible, but this is a pretty interesting principle. If you want revelation of God, to know and see God, what do you do? You obey him. So we've got students who are, and young people who aren't obeying him. And then you become, and this is a scripture, you become dull of hearing. So in other words, you don't exercise your faith, and so you just become dull of hearing. They come to church, and you're really, they haven't been in church for a while. So they come to church with you, and you go, man, I, that was a great sermon by Nate. Amazing. And they're like, yeah, it was all right. You know, there was a cute guy over there. You know, whatever. They're not, they're not tying into it because they're dull of hearing. And then they forfeit their spiritual purpose. That's the last part. So I think we have a lot of young people who are forfeiting their spiritual purpose. That doesn't mean they're horrible people. They may have a different view than you on stuff, but they're, you, you have kids who have forfeited their spiritual purpose. That's the culture in which they live in. So my, my point on this isn't how do we fix this right now. My point was what do we do with this culture and how do we become students of it, okay? So those are your first three points. They're not easy, are they? So the next ones are... Are you helping or enabling? Because if you enable, they become entitled. The next one is, what do we do when they violate our values? Okay, and then how do we find some joy in the empty nest? And we're done and we can have some questions, okay? So we're going to take a break. Is somebody, how long is the break, Rick? Anybody know? Or I'm looking for somebody back there. Oh, Andy, I see you. Ten, ten minutes. Okay, let's take a quick ten-minute break. So right now it is 9.20, 9.30, I'm going to start talking. Let me say to you, and I'll, I'll make mention of it at the end, but Homeward has books out there, and I'm not here to push books. Um, I think there are some resources that might be able to help you like crazy, doing life with your adult children, finding joy in the empty nest, other things. But we choose to take no, I, Kathy and I choose to take no money from those books. You um, are helping Homeward with, actually our, mar our marriage scholarship, we do marriage events around the country, and our marriage scholarships come out of, of, of those book sales. So anyway, if, you, if you're interested, you can go look at those too. Okay? I'll stay right here, take any Q&A, and then we'll take Q&A at the end as a group as well.